Word of God to the, the first epistle to Timothy as we continue the series that we began last, uh, last time I was here over the Apostle Paul and how he is an example for us. Here the Word of God reads in 1 Timothy 1.16, How be it for this cause, this is the Apostle Paul writing, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. We noted last time what what this what Paul is referring to here, the howbeit, we wouldn't we wouldn't say that today, but we might say but or nevertheless. And that is how this word is rendered most often in the scriptures, 583 times out of 637 times that this Greek term appears in the New Testament. We, we may not say cause here, howbeit or but for this cause or for this reason, he obtained mercy. And this obtaining, as we noted, is not active on his part. It is something that is done passively by the recipient, as in when God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. That is the same Greek term here rendered obtained mercy. We receive mercy from our Lord God, and that, that receiving of that mercy that Paul received is a pattern or an example, a mold or a form for us. It is a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, believe on Christ, on to or, or to or into life everlasting. We come into an understanding of what it is that Christ has done on our behalf because of the faith that he also grants us as a gift. It is something that, that full-orbed understanding he brings to us in that faith that believing his word, we, ha- we will have eternal life because he, it is the free gift of God, we're told in Romans 6.23. We examined last time how Paul, or Saul, as he is also referred to, was as a youth. Come to Acts 20.26, 20, we'll get just a, a quick refresher of what, of what he was like as a, as a youth, as Saul the youth. Acts 26, verses 4 and 5. My manner of life from my youth... This is the Apostle Paul speaking, which was at the first among, among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. He from a youth was raised as a Pharisee. He, he's standing here before King Agrippa, giving a testimony of the fact that he from a youth was raised a very strict Jew. Now he did not follow the word of God, for the Jews in his day did not follow the word of God, and Paul never claims to have followed the word of God. He claims to have followed the commandment of the fathers, the traditions of men. In many different ways, he refers to what he followed in, in like manner. He also grew up as a, uh, he, he grew into a Pharisee, as is referenced there in Acts 26 and Philippians chapter 3. He makes a reference to that. And in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. We looked at that this morning, the mutilation of the flesh. He's referring to the Judaizers. Beware of them. 
They were the ones that had mingled the Mosaic Covenant, circumcision, with grace. Those two things are, are complete opposites. The law is a curse. Grace is by no means a curse. For we are the circumcision. We looked at that. He's speaking of himself and Timotheus, Timothy. Timothy was circumcised in Acts 16. He, he himself was also a Jew. Follow Paul. If you're going to follow a Jew, follow Paul and Timothy, he's saying. We are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. But if anybody is going to have confidence in the flesh, it would be the Apostle Paul here in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul has a greater pedigree to trust in the flesh than any other man. But yet he says he doesn't. Verse 4 or verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Here is his pedigree. If, he, if anybody's going to trust in the flesh, it ought to be him. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless according to men, that is, not before God. No man save the Lord Christ alone is blameless before God according to the law. But he, he according to men, would have had the greatest pedigree to trust in the flesh. But he refused to do so. There's no reason to trust in the flesh. You're trusting in the wrong thing. If you're trusting in anything that you have done, anything that man has given unto you, that is Saul the Pharisee. He is also Saul the murderer, as we noted. He was the one consenting unto the murder of the deacon Stephen. That is Saul before, before he came to know the Lord. That is what the Lord saved him from. That is what the Lord pulled him out of pulled him out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the dominion of darkness, and God translated him unto the, into the kingdom of his dear son. That is where we pick up today. We see Paul the completed. Paul, or, or we may say Paul the converted. But one thing we understand about Jews, Christ is the ultimate end of the Old Testament. So if a Jew's walking in accordance with the Old Testament, Christ is the end. They've completed what the Old Testament was teaching in Christ. So when, when Jews are converted, they're actually completed. That's why you hear them refer to themselves as completed Jews, because Christ is the completion of the revelation of God. He is what everything was referring to. He is where everything is going. He is the one in whom God will wrap up all things in. He is the one. He is the ultimate end of all of it. Paul, the completed Jew. Come to Acts chapter 9. And, then, and, I, and I'll start to refer to him as how we know him as the Apostle Paul, as Paul. Acts 13 and verse 9, as we noted in the last message, Saul, who is also called Paul, he had two names as was very common in that day. Paul uh, would have been his Roman name. Remember, he was a Roman citizen. Paul would have been his Latin name. That's what the Romans, that's what the Romans spoke. They spoke in Latin. Saul would have been his Hebrew name referencing King, King Saul of the Old Testament. So, but we know him as the Apostle Paul. His name was not changed like the Apostle Peter. Peter used to be Simon, but Christ changed his name to Peter, a, a, a little rock, a, a stone, as you see in the Gospels. Come to Acts chapter 9, and beginning in verse 3. And as he journeyed, that is Paul, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. 
And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now in your Bible, if that's not in red letters, that is the Lord Christ speaking. Red letters uh, indicate that it is, it is the Lord Christ speaking in the text. And here, that is who's speaking. And he, Paul, said, Who art thou, Lord? Notice, he knew immediately who he was talking to. He wasn't talking to an idol. He wasn't talking to uh, just another man. He knew that he was talking to the Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus. He didn't know exactly who it was. He knew, he knew it was the Lord God. But he didn't know who it was. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The, the, the pricks of a cactus. Have you ever tried to kick one of those? I would not encourage you to do so. It's hard to do so. It would, it would be, there, was, there would be a lot of pain involved. That's what Christ is trying to teach him. It's hard to kick against the pricks. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, Paul was not directly persecuting the Lord Christ. The Lord Christ had already been crucified and ascended. He was persecuting the church of Christ, his, lo his local body, his purchased possession. And therefore, by persecuting Christians, he was persecuting the Lord Christ. One thing we need to understand, when people persecute us, when they, when they uh, seek to go after what we teach, what the Bible teaches, anything that, the Lord Christ, that has to do with the Lord Christ, they're not just going after us. They're going after our elder brother, our joint heir in the faith, our Lord Christ. They're going to get him involved in the fight, and they don't want him involved in the fight. He doesn't lose. It is his vesture that's dipped in blood, and he doth judge and make war. And he wins. He never loses. His will is done in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? His will is done here in this text as well. And he trembling and astonished. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Paul was going through at that, what was running through his head at that moment? Trembling and astonished, said the Lord. There wasn't any questioning who Jesus was any longer. He knew, he knew that, that the Lord Christ was no longer lunatic. He knew that he was Lord. He knew that he wasn't a maniac, but that he, that he was the Messiah. He knew that he wasn't crazy. He knew that he was the Christ. So he references him as Lord immediately. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What, do you, what would you have me to do? I'm ready, I'm ready to serve you. There was no, there was no questioning. How did this happen? He doesn't need to know. He'll find those things out in the future. And we'll look at that more in the next message. But he understood immediately who it was that he ought to follow. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. That light that he saw was so bright it blinded him completely for a time. He would, his sight would return unto him, not fully. He would still be partly blind for the rest of his life, but he, he had been rendered completely blind until, until some time later his, his sight would be given unto him. Now, some heard the voice and some didn't. We'll look at the parallel passages. There are this, this passage is referenced twice more by Paul himself in the book of Acts. Some heard the voice and some didn't. They saw the light. 
they saw the light. What light was that? Remember, he looked up and he saw, he saw a man. He saw the Lord Christ. We're told in Revelation 20, 21, 23, that the heavenly Jerusalem does not need the sun, for the Lamb is the light thereof. You remember what Christ looked like, what his face shone like on the Mount of Transfiguration? Come to Matthew 17, just so you can, you can get it from the Word of God and not, not from this preacher. Matthew 17, the Lord's face shone with this same light on the Mount of Transfiguration. And after six days, Matthew 17, 1, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured. He was changed before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light, whiter than any fuller, any, any clothing maker, any cleaner could ever make clothing, as you read in another parallel account. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? They had fallen on the ground. They, they couldn't look him in the face. If they looked him in the face, the same thing would happen that happened to Paul. His face shone with the brightness of the sun. That's what Paul was looking into, the son of God, the S-O-N. We know it in our language that sun and sun, sun in the sky and the son of God sound the same. I don't know if that's, with, with our God, nothing is coincidence. He works all things after the counsel of his will. That is the brightness that, the, that our Lord Christ shines with in his glory. And that is what Paul saw. He saw Christ in his glory. Come to Acts 22, where we see a parallel account of this, of this given to us. Acts 22 and verse 6. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, go into Damascus. There it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of the light, there we're told it is the glory of the light that made him blind, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. He followed what it is the Lord God told him to do. And we're given there a few, a few details, and a few details are left out. Paul's reciting what, what it is that he went through. He didn't have to provide all the details there to, to explicitly match the first account. He's trying to get a point across. This is what happened to him, that he, that he met Jesus of Nazareth on the road to Damascus. Come to 26, where we see another, another account given, and here he, he gives what the brightness of that light was. 12, 20, uh, Acts 26 and verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, that's who gave him authority to go and imprison Christians and to uh, take them back to Jerusalem so that they could be punished. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. 
And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will, I will appear unto thee. Paul would be taught of the Lord Christ. We won't get into that today, but he would also be taught of the Lord Christ just as all of the other apostles would, were as well. We'll get into that more in the next message. But here, I would like for us to know, while our conversion may have lacked the physical miracle of the Lord appearing like it did to Paul, like he did to Paul, it is no less miraculous. Our, our conversion is just as miraculous as Paul's was. It is, it is a miraculous thing for God to impart a new man unto a man, that he has new desires, that the old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And you see the difference. The, Paul was going to persecute Christians, going to persecute those who followed after the way, those who followed after the way, not a way. It was not just a, simply another way of following, following the commandments of God. It was a completely entire new way. Something that they had not heard before. Following the way is a person. Christ himself said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes unto the Father but by me. And they were, they were called those many times in Acts that follow after the way. They followed after the Lord Christ. Our conversion, while lacking the physical miracles, in many instances while it may have lacked the physical miracles, is no less miraculous. Come to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. And we see here Paul describe his conversion, and it is the same as ours. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. But when it pleased God, that's, that's when we're converted. Not when it pleases men, not when it pleases ourselves, not when, which it, wouldn't, it would never please ourselves. It isn't what our natural man wants. We don't want anything to do with God. But when it pleased God, here's a description, who separated me from my mother's womb? I know newer Bibles, if, you've, if you're holding a newer Bible in your hand, it'll say sanctified me from my mother's womb, as in set me apart. But that's not what he's, what he's, uh, what he's attempting to teach here. When you're separated from your mother's womb, that's your first birth. That's your natural birth. Then, and called me by his grace, second birth. He's, attempt, he's teaching here the two births. He's in charge of both. He's in charge of when both happen. When we're brought into this world and when we're brought into an understanding of the truth. When we're given that new man that has new desires, that seeks after God, that wants to know what he says. To reveal his son in me. That is exactly what happened to us. The same thing that happened to the Apostle Paul is exactly what happened to us. Come to Ephesians chapter 2. A passage that we're all no doubt very familiar with. Acts chapter, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. And you, uh, Ephesians, just like all the rest of the epistles... 
is, all, is written to people that are already Christians. They already have an understanding of the truth. This is recounting, uh, going back through what it is that they have been saved from. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what we were before we came to the before we came to to trust in the Lord Christ to understand what it is He has done. We were dead, quickened. When you are clipping your your fingernails and you you get too close to the quick, it hurts because it's alive. Quickened means to be made alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We didn't want anything to do with God. We we wanted to stay there. Can a dead man live? Ezekiel understood, oh Lord God, you know. You know a dead man can't live. He's got no breath in him. That isn't what, what is taught today, I understand. But that is what we were. We were dead. CPR isn't going to help. Nothing is going to help other than God imparting life. When, when the Lord Christ said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He had power. He imparted life with that word. When God, the one who spoke light into darkness, he speaks light to our hearts. He opens our understanding. He imparts life unto us when we are dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That's what you wanted to do. That's what you wanted to do. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, being disobedient to God and having no desire to be obedient to God was what we were, was what we were, how we walked in this life among whom also, here's the confirmation, we all had our conversation, our, our, not, not just our speech, but our whole manner of life, our whole way of life. In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath. We were not children of wrath, but we had the same nature as the children of wrath. You, you were saved, we'll look at it in just a moment, but you were granted grace before the foundation of the world. You were given to Christ before the foundation of the world. You have always been a child of God. You did not know it. You did not understand what had been done until life had been imparted and the, and the word came and caused you to see what had been done on your behalf. Then you came to an understanding. But we were at one point by nature the same as the children of wrath, even as others, even as other Christians. The Ephesians, Paul himself, they were, they, they had by, they were by nature the, chil- the same as the children of wrath. But God, never forget that. When, when we're down, when we're down and out and there's nothing we can do to help ourselves, but God. Amen. Remember, He is the difference maker. Who hath caused us to differ from another? It's a rhetorical question that Paul asked the Corinthians. It's God who causes us to differ from another. Who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Why do we love Him? We're told in 1 John. Because He first loved us. He first loved us. Children are the same way. Children don't know how to love unless they have first been loved. We are the same way. We wouldn't have any idea how to love God if it wasn't first that He loved us. That is the great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. 
He made us alive with the Lord Christ. By grace are you saved. By grace have we been saved just as the Apostle Paul. There is no other salvation but by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we come to understand it. That grace is not only sufficient, it is efficient. It gets the job done. You don't need anything else. There's nothing to be added to that grace, nothing to be mingled with that grace. You don't need circumcision. You don't need the law. You, there, there isn't anything but the grace of God that is necessary, all sufficient and all efficient for that salvation. Come to John. Come to the gospel according to John, chapter 1. And you'll, and you'll see that we, there is something involved in us coming to understand the truth, but it is not... It is as a result of what God has done, not a, a not something that causes the and that causes our salvation. John one and verse eleven, or for, yes, John chapter one and verse eleven. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Christ came unto Israel; they didn't receive him. Just as all of the other prophets. They, hadn't, they didn't desire to follow what the other prophets told. He came to them as a, pro, just a prophet, just like the prophets of the Old Testament. Repent. And they, he said, if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. How did those, in that passage, how did those people perish? Earthly, a, tem, a, a temporal death. The Tower of Siloam fell upon 16. And he said, if you don't repent, Israel... If you, don't, if you don't repent and start walking after the law of God, the, co the covenant that you made, you will all also likewise perish. You will perish an earthly death. You will be destroyed, just as was promised in the Old Testament, if Israel would not walk after those ways. He is there not inviting them to be born again. It is, it, being born again isn't an invitation, as we'll see in John chapter 3. It is something God does uh, of his own accord. He does it all by his lonesome. It is a, as some theologians refer to it, a monergistic act. He does it by himself, for himself, for his glory. We have no hand in it. We'll get, we'll get to that. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do we receive Christ? Yes, absolutely. We receive Christ. We believe on Him. That is, that is true of every Christian. They come to an understanding of the truth because of this. Verse 13, which were born, past tense, they received Him after verse 13 happened, which were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It wasn't their pedigree. It wasn't who their father was. It wasn't that they were children of Abraham. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't of blood, it wasn't of the will of the flesh, it wasn't what they desired, it wasn't a decision, nor of the will of man, it wasn't what others desired for them, but of God. Those that received Christ had already been born of God. They were already, they had already been what we call born again, and we'll look at that passage, come over to John 3. John 3 and verse 6. Here, our Lord Christ says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Flesh can never choose to be spirit. Flesh can, it doesn't matter what it desires. Flesh, that which is flesh is flesh. It can't become spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
That which is born of the Spirit can't ever become flesh. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, if you have a marginal reading, born again could also be rendered born from above. The Spirit of God would cause one to be born from above. Born again. Our new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Our new man has the mind of Christ. Our new man is a saved man. He is born. He comes from above. He is born from above. We experience being born again. It is a, it is, it, it, we understand that we can't pick a time exactly when that happened, but we notice that desires have changed. Something has happened. And that's what Christ gets into in the next verse. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wants. The wind blows wherever it desires. And thou hearest the sound thereof, you don't, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You can't control it. You don't know where it's coming from, where it's going, but you can see the effects of it. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God cannot be caged. He can't be, he, he works of his own will. When one is born again, that's what he desires to do. That is when, when he desired to work. We can't control him. We can't tell him when he must do that. He does it of his own accord, and we see the effects. We see the effects of it, just like we see the effects of the wind. But we can't tell where it's coming or where it's going other than by its effects. It isn't something that can be controlled by man. That is the conversion, the completion that Paul went through in an instant. His was instantaneous. Ours, it may be a time. It may be a time. I don't know how long. That, that's for the Spirit of God to work out. But that conversion that he went through is the same conversion that you and I have gone through. All of those who have, who have come, who have received the Lord Christ, have already been born of the Spirit of God. Those that believe on him have already been born. 1 John 5.1 teaches the same thing. I didn't, I didn't have that in my notes, and I apologize. I'm running behind. 1 John 5.1, Whosoever believeth, present tense, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Believeth, present tense, is born, completed, past tense, somewhere in the past, that happened. The ones that believe now, we're born, we're born again somewhere in the past. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. He that loves him that, that begat the Son of God, he that loves the Father will love him that is begotten, the only begotten Son of God, and all the others, the, the brethren. We're all begotten of God, not in the same way that the Lord Christ is, but still born again, born from above. Come back to Acts chapter 9. We've seen that, that Paul is Paul the completed or Paul the converted. But we will also see quickly that he is Paul the chosen. Acts chapter 9 in verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Just as Paul was ready to serve, so was Ananias. Ananias was already a Christian, but as soon as the Lord called on him, he didn't say, hang on, I'm busy, I need to finish this. He said, I'm here, I'm ready to serve whatever it is that you would have me to do. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, 
and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, now he's just verifying, he's not questioning the Lord's authority, verifying that this is the man you're talking about. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, and that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Ananias followed through with what the Lord God gave him to do, and the Lord God told him that Paul was a chosen vessel. He is a chosen vessel. Acts 22, we're told, uh, is a parallel account. Acts 22, we'll take a look at that briefly. 22 and verse, and verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, the, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou, or why, why are you sticking around? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, it isn't baptism that actually literally takes away sin, but it is the ones that are baptized that have professed faith in the Lord Christ. He had already done that. He had already known that he was Lord. That, that's, that's faith enough, knowing that he is Lord and Savior. Being baptized washes away in, in the appearance, in the uh, 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 feeling of those that are, that are being baptized calling on the name of the Lord, and that is how we are described. We are the ones that call upon the name of the Lord. Here he is again stated to be a chosen vessel, Paul the chosen. But understand that our being chosen is just as important. Just as important as Paul being chosen was our being chosen. This, this Greek term chosen, ekologē, is found seven times in the New Testament. Six times it is rendered Election, the, the being chosen of God, is referred to as election. Come to Romans chapter 9, just so, just so you see that from the scriptures. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11. For the children, this is an example that Paul uses. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, speaking of Jacob and Esau, they hadn't done anything they, before they were even born. Why did what was, did what was uh, uh, said in verse 12, which was back in Genesis, why was that put that way? That the purpose of God according to election, according to his choosing, might stand not of works, 
It isn't about anything that we do because they hadn't done anything. They had done neither good nor evil. But of him that calls, of him that calleth, it is God that makes the choice. It isn't man that makes the choice. It is God that makes the choice. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger because that's what God chose to happen. And we know exactly how that worked out, but that was God's plan the whole time. That Jacob, that Jacob would receive the blessing of the firstborn, not Esau. And that is why Esau would, would serve Esau, the older twin, would serve the younger twin, Jacob. That, that is a, a place where that, where that term, eklage, is used. And in, in 11.5, even so then, at this present time, also, there is a remnant in Israel. Romans 11 is about Israel. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. Not only was, is there an election of Israel temporally, that God chose them to be his chosen nation, but he chose among Israel. They're a remnant at that time. Today, there is still a remnant of Israelites that are saved, that are saved by grace. They're the election of grace. They have a remnant. There will be a day where all the living Jews will be Christians, where that they will come to know the Lord Christ, that they will come to an understanding of the truth. I believe it's Zechariah, the 12th chapter, that speaks, uh, speaks about that day when God will pour upon the house of David the spirit of grace and of supplication. And in that day, they will come to understand who it is. Isaiah 53 will be the confession that they make. That is what Isaiah 53 is. It is a confession that they will make in that day. Uh, Romans 11 and verse 7, What then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, God's choosing hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded? Yes, that is what happened. The rest of Israel were blinded. God blinded them, they, that they may not understand, that they may not be converted, as, as you see in Isaiah uh, chapter 6 and again in John chapter 12. And in verse 28, as, according, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Israel, they're, they're not all Christians. They are, they are against the word of God. They are against Christ and what, and what he has done. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. They, they will come to know. Israel holds a special place in God's hand. He, there's a reason that they still exist today, and the Jebusites do not. And the, and the Amalekites do not. There's a reason the Israelites still exist unto this day. And it is because God has not desired that they perish. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, there God say, Paul says, Knowing brethren, beloved, beloved brethren, your election of God. I'll just go through a few passages that, that have this term in it for time's sake. 2 Peter 1 and verse 10 Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now, calling and election is reverse of how it actually happens in the mind of God. But to us, that is the order in which it happens. We come to understand that we've been called, and then we come to understand God's electing grace, that the election of God. Ephesians 1.4, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And verse, verse 11, we receive an inheritance in him. Now, that inheritance that we receive is a, is a, is a great inheritance, a great inheritance. Study, study that at some point. 
2 Thessalonians 2.13, that those Thessalonians were chosen from the beginning unto salvation. They were chosen from the beginning unto salvation. Come to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8. We've examined this passage before, but just to get it again. At the end of verse 8, God is referred to. Verse 9, who hath saved us, God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. When was that given to us? Which was given unto us, given us in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, before the world began. Now the Greek there, chronon ionion, chronon, where we get our term chronology or chronological. It's time in order, ionion, world. The world according to time is how it might read in a newer Bible. The world according to time, before in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, were we granted grace, were we chosen in Christ. We, we were chosen in Christ long before we could ever do anything to unearn it because we wouldn't do anything to earn it. God must have, I believe it was Spurgeon that put it this way, God must have chosen me before the foundation of the world, for if he chose me after that, I have given him no reason to do so. And that is all of us. If it was not done before the foundation of the world, we have given him no reason to do that very thing. The Lord Christ spoke of those that were given him in John chapter 6, of all, the, of all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. We receive Christ, do we not, as we saw in John the first chapter? Shall come. He's already said, him that cometh and him that believeth. He's already equated coming and believing as the same thing. All that the Father hath given Christ will come to him, will believe on him, will receive him. And him that cometh to him, he will in no wise cast out. How do we come? No man can come. John 6, has the ability. We're not, we're not taught this very much today, but may I is asking for permission. Can I implies ability. Your, your parents or your teachers in school, whenever you say, can I go to the restroom? And they say, I don't know, can you? Do you have the ability to do so? And you have to, you, they're, they're encouraging you to say, may I do this or do that? Asking for permission. No man has the ability to come to me unless the Father which hath sent me draw him. And draw us he does. Draw us with cords of love. He gives us that new man that desires him, that wants to follow him, that wants to, come, that, that wants to walk in all of his ways. And it is because of that that we come. It is because of that that we believe. It is because of that that we come into an understanding of the truth. John 17, Christ did not pray for the world. He said that he prayed for those that the Father hath given him. He prayed for those that he had been given. He did not pray for the world. He specifically said, I pray not for the world, but for those which thou hast given me, for thine they were, and, the, and, and thine they shall be. I can't remember the exact wording, but you, you go look at it. John 17, verse 6 and verse 9, and you'll see that very thing. Revelation 13, 8 speaks of Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was the lamb slain. We, that's the reason why we were given grace before the foundation of the world, because Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Legally, he is the surety. He's the guarantor 
of a better covenant you see in Hebrews, the seventh chapter. He is the one that the old, why were the Old Testament saved? Uh, based on his suretyship, based on his guaranteeing that he would die for them. It wasn't by, again, they're saved the same way we are, by grace. By grace. It isn't by anything that they did. It isn't by anything that we did. It is all by what the Lord Christ did. He went and told them what, what he had done on their behalf after his death. Paul being completed, Paul being converted, is the same conversion that we went through, though we may not have had the physical miracles that he did. But we went through the same miracle that he did of being born again, of coming to an understanding of who the Lord Christ is, of coming to an understanding that he is Lord and we are not, that he is Savior and we are not. Paul being chosen, Paul being a chosen vessel by God, is the same thing that we go through, that we, under, that we understand that the Scriptures teach, that we were a chosen vessel as well. Paul's example is that by God's grace and power that, that has been left for us shows us that while we may not have known, that we may not have known Christ in the past, and we may have even persecuted Him greatly, as Paul did. Paul was a great persecutor of the church. His chosen people, he will always bring to himself. He will always find the lost sheep and bring them to the fold. Lost implies ownership. Never forget that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, Christ, the iniquity of us all, of all the sheep. Not of the goats. Christ didn't say he died for the goats. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. This but for, for this reason, Paul being turned from an enemy to a friend, to a, a faithful servant of the Lord God is the reason why we do not cease to pray. Cease to pray for those whom the Lord has given us a burden to pray for. For we do not know what his plan is. Spurgeon said, until I see an E on somebody's chest that states that they are of the elect of God, I will continue to preach to anybody that will, that will come to listen. We do not know. Who the elect are. Paul did not know until he came to an understanding of the truth. Neither did Ananias or any other Christian know who Paul was to be. Christ knew. God knew. But the rest of the saints did not know. That is why we never cease to pray. He promised to save. He promised that he himself is not willing. Now I'll come to, come to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.9 and I'll close. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. And we wouldn't say to usward, we would say toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now we have two indefinite articles in this passage. Any and all. They must rely on the previous, the antecedent, uh, the, the previous subject. The previous direct object, the previous uh, uh, definite article, excuse me, to gain meaning. Who is that? That's the us, the toward us. He is long-suffering toward us. Who is the us? Come back to three, and, 3 verse 1. You see, beloved, that is the recipient of the epistle. The us would be the recipients and the author, Peter. And you go back to 1-1. To see who the beloved is, the recipients, those who have like precious faith as us. Just as all of the other epistles, 
that epistle is written to Christians. God is long-suffering towards his people, towards his people, not willing that any of his people should perish, but that all of his people should come to repentance, should come to an understanding of the truth, that they won't walk in accordance with this world any longer, that they will understand who the Lord Christ is. He is not willing that any of them die without having known that. Even the thief on the cross, he wasn't willing that the thief on the cross perish without knowing that. That is why you, you don't, we don't find it in the text, but we understand the teachings of the rest of Scripture. He had his eyes opened. That is why he said, Lord, rememberest thou me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And that's when the Lord Christ said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You don't need to wait until I come into my kingdom. You'll be with me today. We thank God for this example that, Paul, that, that he has had Paul to leave for us. It teaches us so many things. Let's bow before him. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it provides. We thank